Hello, 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 and welcome once again to the Bet It Right show. You're listening to episode four, and this show comes to you in conjunction with BetItRight.com, which is a brand new website that brings the football data to your door. Each week, we will update you on the key numbers and metrics that you can use to help you show off in front of your mates and allow you to bet better. So like and subscribe to this podcast and make sure you get involved with us at BetItRight.com. And once again, Dean Selby joins me to look ahead to this weekend's matches. Dean, how's things, mate? I'm good, Ollie. I'm good. I think, like everybody else, I'm just waiting for Boris Johnson to cancel Christmas and for everyone to turn into mis- miserable human beings again. Fingers crossed that doesn't happen. But other than that, it's been football, swinging the golf club inside to out too much around the golf course. <laughs> And yeah, just a, a typical day leading up to the busy Christmas schedule. You live in Spain though, don't you? So what's it like out there? I do indeed. The beautiful Alicante. Uh, aside from it being 20 degrees every day. Get it sorry. quietly, mate. Yeah, sorry, Bet It Right fans. I, I do apologise. It's glorious here still. Uh, yeah, it's, the, the Spanish haven't really relinquished the masks through the, through the whole you know, period. A lot of people still wear them in the street. You have to wear them in, in, in the gym still, in shops, public transport. A little bit like we're going back to in England, but I fly back on the 22nd for Christmas and I'm just hoping that the restrictions stay fairly lenient so that I can see family and friends. I think a lot of people are, um, are in that same boat. So look, let's keep our fingers crossed for a safe, happy and healthy Christmas. That involves lots of football because plenty of the games in the Premier League, as we've seen recently, are getting postponed days before last minute, as we saw with Burnley and Watford um, earlier in the week. So it makes the schedule um, difficult. It makes it hard to to keep on top of things and what have you. So we can just keep our fingers crossed, I, I guess, that, that everything runs as smoothly as possible in light of the circumstances. Um, now, on this week's episode, we're going to look ahead to some key matches, both in the UK and across Europe, as we always do. But don't forget that the data we talk about is at your fingertips also, to use and gain access to all the numbers, data, player and team info and metrics and to work your own bets out, it's super easy. All you have to do is sign up to us at betterright.com. It's free to join. You'll get access to all the information that the pros use to help them bet better. We also have our Twitter pages at BIR Insights and at BIR Prompts. And we asked you on our Twitter account at BIR Insights for score predictions in the Madrid derby, Rail versus Atletico that ended up 2-0 to Rail. And getting it right, there were a number of people that got it right. Freddie Richards, Roshan, and listen to this, Dean. Guess who got it right again? Gary Sinclair. Gary, I'll tell you what, Gary Sinclair, I think he needs to become maybe the third member of the Bet It Right show every, every <laughs> two week. Two from two. Remarkable. I know, two from two. He's making a fortune. I forgot to put my prediction in, and I I was actually correct in the Sociedad game, uh, predicting that Real Madrid would win 2-0. Um, but... I forgot to do it this week. Oh, so. my. That, that, so, Gary Sinclair should win a prize for, like, getting it right. And you should win a prize for the biggest aftertime of all time. Yeah. Well, I have to live on, some, I have to live on something, don't I? You know, <laughs> once upon a time, I got something right 16, you know, 16 games ago. <laughs> but, Gary, that, just a quick message to Gary. The mug is on its way, like we said, three to four months postage. Maybe a you know a bet it right hat at six to seven months postage. So keep your eyes peeled. See the thing is, we should just stress 
but we are actually going to sort this out. So in the new year, Gary will be deserving and is already deserving of something. So we will definitely get he that. Is. To, to well done, Gary. Gary. Congratulations. First game we're going to take a look at is Man United against Brighton. Man United's game against Brentford was obviously postponed because of COVID and Brighton played midweek and lost 1-0 at home to Wolves. Um, so, Dean, what are you looking at with regards to this game? Well, Brighton, it's, you know, when when's it going to click? Made some more changes last night with Connell in March coming in. Neil Mope not even in the squad. Don't know what's going on there. Not really sure about if there's any sort of COVID or illness, no injury, which was strange after his, you know, he's finally actually scored a couple of good goals. They're now no win in 11, including eight draws. So even though the, the style was good, the pressure's now on, surely. And you've got to revitalise Manchester United, albeit not clicking completely yet um, in this game. And going to Old Trafford is going to be is going to be a difficult spot for Brighton, given the run that they're on. Some people said... Um after the Norwich game that they weren't too well they they were disappointed by what they saw from Man United actually it was it was sort of the same old Man United what did you make of it well Rangnick favors a formation that pretty much you can equate to a 4-2-2-2 and it's very much what Leipzig played for a number of years after he he worked with them and brought them into the Bundesliga Julian Nagelsmann plays it has taken it not so much into into his role at Bayern, but it's a very narrow wingers, 4-2-2-2, and it allows them to dominate the centre of the pitch. The fullbacks are massively important uh, in the attacking phase, and it's whether Tellez and Diego Dalot in the, in the first two games he's been in charge can actually do that job. And what you need in that central area is you need real athleticism, because the wide midfielders that are essentially tucked in need to be able to get out and press. In turnovers of possession, that counter-press needs to be aggressive, and it's just whether that United have that. You know, right now they've gone with Rashford and Ronaldo up top, Sancho and Bruno Fernandes tucked in, and then obviously you've got McTominay and Fred being able to play a little bit deeper. And it's whether Fernandes can able can really do that job. So Ranić said it's not going to be a quick turnaround at United. The players have to buy into it. They have to give their you know their minds, their souls, their sweat, you know everything for it to be able to work. So I think it's still a work in progress at the moment, but something to really look forward to. Uh, to see if they can actually do it. Because if they do, you know, the team will be ultra aggressive. They'll be able to break quickly. And they've got enough quality in, in the final third to be able to to dominate teams. So it's, it's a case of wait and see, I think. Uh, the, <clears throat> the, the, the Brighton angles, again, we've sort of focused on Man United there, but Brighton, the fans booed Graham Potter, well, booed the team about three games ago. And I think Graham Potter came out with quite a staunch defence saying, Look, I don't think they study history because we're now, I think at the time they were sort of eighth in the Premier League. But actually that's quite a worrying no win in 11 is, is, is quite an alarming stat. How do they arrest, not necessarily a, a steep slide, but certainly a, their feet being stuck in quicksand a bit at the moment? It's really... The two ends of the pitch is where they're struggling at the moment. They've got key injuries to Duffy, Duncan, Webster, as we as we mentioned last week. They're a team that like to build in possession um, and they like to play inside the pitch. So in a game against United where they're going to play this 4-2-2-2 narrow formation, the game could get really clogged. So for Graham Potter, it's really about whether he 
I guess, takes a bit of a risk in playing two wide players that can overload wide areas against United. He tends to play Lamptey in right midfield, but then will play a more conventional right back behind him. And if he's playing Cucurella from left back, Trossard will play inside. So they're only going to be able to create 1v1s. And the key to beating United, if they play this system, is to be able to switch the ball quickly. And Brighton can do that, but they'll only have 1v1. Now, are those players good enough to be able to dominate Dalot and Tellez in 1v1 scenarios? Probably not. So it's really about how aggressive he wants to be. And with Duffy Duncan Webster being out, finding the players that can actually put the ball in the net. I mean, they're averaging only 0.91 goals uh, from 1.1 XG, which you need to be scoring more than that. And, and that's really been the key discussion point. Whenever we talk about Brighton this season, it's about the fact that they play nice football. They're nice to watch. Everyone's kind of happy, but then they're just not getting, you know, they're not scoring enough goals. And they don't give up many either. Like they're, they're attacking and defending statistics are very similar. So again, 0.91 goals defending. So they're not a team that are giving up massive chances like Arsenal, who we're going to discuss with Leeds. The, away from home, they give up huge numbers. Whereas Brighton don't, which you know is testament to their structure. But it's really just about putting the ball in the net. Uh, the other thing is as well, Basuma's suspended, I think. He picked up another yellow card midweek against Wolves. So he's a big miss for them, obviously. OK, taking that all into account, um, sum it up for us. What are you looking at with regards to this, fi- this fixture? Well, United's XG has improved in the first two games. 1.9 against Palace, 2.2 against Norwich. They did give up big XG against Norwich. Um, but I think it'll be a little bit different this weekend. Um, season to date, they're looking at just over one and a half XG, 1.6 goals. And with Brighton's outputs so low, I think this is a game that United dominate. Uh, you know, the, the pieces will start to click. I think the pressure's on Potter. Brighton have only had over two and a half goals in four of 16 games. So one of the angles could be potentially to look at unders. But then a part of me says, well, United are just waiting to click. And if they go full tempo and, and they go everything out, this could be a game where they get on a roll. So my, my prediction for this game would be more to side on United in the 1-2x market and have them, if you want, to win to zero. OK, so United to win and to win to zero. Thanks for that, Dean. Next up, Leeds against Arsenal. And Leeds are coming into this on the back of, an, of a drubbing. <laughs> 7-0. At City, I saw a Leeds fan put, this is the worst day in our history or something. And then another Leeds fan replied, losing 7-0 to one of the best teams of all time is fine. I think losing to Histon was worse about five years ago. So <laughs> it's That's true. All bad. I, yeah, I saw the first goal go in the other night and I thought, oh, this, this could be a long night. And then I kind of switched off and didn't watch it for a bit. And then I went back and it was six and then suddenly it was seven. And I thought, oh, you know, is this Ipswich Man United all over again? And yeah, Man, Man City are, are an absolute machine. And because of Leeds' style, the way that they play, and for those tacticians out there that watch the show will know that how Bielsa sets his teams up defensively, the centre forward will cut the two centre halves in half. The two centre halves will play two versus one, which is where they have a little bit of security. And then every other player on the pitch will play one versus one. So when they play against teams that are better than them, and individually, if you sat there and said, okay, this player's better than him, better than him, and you went round the pitch, that's where they struggle. So your Man City's, your Liverpool's, not so much Chelsea because they're not as dynamic, potentially Manchester United moving forward. That's where they really, really struggle. And that was uh, that was shown again against City because they just cannot match up. And 
where you have a coach who is so ingrained in his principles as Bielsa, and obviously there are a lot of coaches around the world that have followed him. There's a lot of coaches around the world that have followed Ranić that we just talked about. But when you haven't got the players to be able to do the to do the job that you want them to do, at that point, a little bit like Svengor and Eriksson back in the day trying to squeeze Paul Scholes on the left of midfield or Gerrard or Lampard, sometimes you have to say, OK, we can't do it right now, let's change. OK, th- there's a couple of points I want to pick up there. When, when they were in the championship, Patrick Bamford missed probably... I mean, I don't have the actual data to hand. I'm sure the brains at Bet It Right can dig it out, but he probably missed 98.6% of chances that were created. <laughs> and then he went into the Premier League. I thought he'll never score a goal and he had a great season last year. But I actually, when they were in the Championship, watched them against Brentford. And I realised when I was watching Bamford that he he was a really important cog in the Bielsa wheel, given what he did in the in the upper third of the pitch. Absolutely. Out of possession, actually, um, as well as holding the ball up in possession. He's missing. Calvin Phillips is arguably the most important player in the Leeds system. He's missing and he's had to play at centre-back as well this year. And there's some Leeds fans, given where Bielsa has taken them from and to, that are saying enough's enough. But when you look at both Bielsa and Graham Potter in the previously mentioned Brighton, these are managers that are dealing with key injuries to massive players. Yeah. Now, I don't support Brighton or Leeds, but if I was a fan of them, I would take a step back and understand that they are dealing with something that is is normal in football, injuries, but also they're trying to adapt and find a way through what is clearly a very challenging period for the squad. So yeah. so do you think that those the fans of those clubs need to take a little bit of a, a step back and allow this period to sort of them to get through this period? Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Patrick Bamford. He's been much maligned at times, but he's the best finisher that they have, technically. And alongside Phillips, Cooper's also been missing. And they've been able to dovetail a little bit when one of those two have been missing. But when two are missing, mm. they're so key to their structure out of possession that at the moment, because it's so principled, you've got players that are coming in to do the jobs of people that have that really understand the jobs. And it's key that they're getting there late and it's not quite as structured as it normally is. So those three players being out down the, the spine of the team is massively key. And because he won't change his principles, and that's what everyone loves about him, that he's so passionate, he's a little bit extroverted and a little bit introverted. And, you know, he's got all these little kind of idiosyncrasies that everyone loves. It's a tough one for Leeds uh, at the moment, but I think they've just got to stick with it. And when they get those key players back, and obviously Rafinha is an outstanding talent, you know, they just need to win the games against teams that they are kind of similar to or slightly better than, which is where the 1v1 matchup really, really works for them. Yeah, and you, you look at the way they played against Chelsea, they played really well. Um, and, and we're arguably unlucky to, to lose that game in the last minute. Uh, they're playing Arsenal. We sort of spent a lot of time talking about Leeds, but um, Arsenal on the back of that good win against West Ham, they've had a bit of fortune the last couple of games. I'm, I'm not convinced it was a penalty. It certainly wasn't, in my opinion, a second yellow card for Kufa, which did, which did change the game to a certain extent. Yeah, definitely not. I agree with you on that. But um, given the sort of internal challenges that Arteta has been faced with, that was a big decision about Ober and uh, Aubameyang losing the captaincy. Like people like Lacazette are sort of bouncing again. There's a real energy, it seems, at the Emirates. Uh, what are, what's the data telling us about Arsenal at the moment? Well, they've just—he's gone with youth, and 
10 of Arsenal's 23 Premier League goals have been scored by players under the age of 21, 21 or younger. That's number one in the league. That tells you everything. Saka's playing outstanding. Odegaard's really started to fit in. Tierney's an unbelievable outlet at left wing that they tried to release. That's where they kind of tried to get their overloads working and Odegaard on the inside pocket. And you've got Martinelli coming in. And, you know, Aubameyang always struck me as someone, especially after he got the big deal and he got the captaincy. And I kind of thought, well, this is a bit strange, kind of. He doesn't strike me. And obviously we don't see inside the, the training grounds and, and what goes on. But just watching games, it looked really laboured. And, uh, you know, Arteta always talked about the process and it taking some time. And I think we're starting to see that now. And, you know, they want to play progressive possession football. They want to hurt teams in inside pockets, which will suit playing against Leeds. They've got the quality to be able to break the press um, and to play through them quickly. So this could be a game that kind of goes from counter-attack to counter-attack. Uh, Arsenal go into a 4-4-2 when they defend, which can be a little bit flat with Xhaka and Party left a little bit exposed by the more aggressive wide players. And Leeds like to have their centre midfielders high. So could potentially hurt them inside that formation. But yeah, Arsenal are just playing with a lot more structure, a lot more relaxed. And they look like they have an identity now, whereas before it looked like Arteta was in the process of applying that identity. They didn't quite get it. Obviously, the game against City where they got pumped, uh, playing three at the back, and it looked completely disjointed. But yeah, they're looking a lot better now. And they've been very, very strong at home. But this, an away game, is, is where they've had problems today. I wouldn't be surprised. Again, I sort of studied Leeds quite intently in, in the Championship and indeed last season. I really like Bielsa. I've sort of watched plenty of documentaries about him. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Leeds served it up to Arsenal. I think a lot of people will be expecting them heads down. But they, it, when, even when they're in the Championship, there was a game against Cardiff where I think they gave up a 2-0 a lead or Birmingham, I think it was 4-5-4 four, four or something, and then they lost 5-0 to Cardiff. But they bounced back quickly because of that sort of um, relentless consistency with the system. Like sometimes it doesn't work and against City, it's, you know, you're up against it. But then the next game they come back, I, I don't think it's, I think they're unique leads. That's how I'd describe them. Obviously, as we know, they're, uh, they play the Bielsa system. But it, look, it's going to be interesting to see how they bounce back. Psychologically, it'll be interesting. It will be. These young players like Gellhart and, you know, the, these these players won't have been used to what, what they experienced the other day. No. And like we said, they're missing key players. Their outputs at home are actually okay. Goals goals aren't great. XG's okay, One, 1.35. It's not the worst. Defensively at home, they've got the fourth worst numbers, um, giving up almost one and a half XG, screwing, uh, giving up one and a quarter goals. Arsenal have been really strong at home, won eight out of the last nine, but they've only got seven points away from home, which is the 12th best in the league. So that's really where Arsenal need to improve. You know, they've only scored six goals away from home and they've conceded 16. Now, some of those are going to be obviously against City, um, which takes, you know, the XG and, and, and the goals there. But both teams have only had two out of eight games where the team has scored over one and a half goals. So part of me thinks, is this going to be a game where the attacks can expose each other? Then I look at Arsenal's figures and I look at Leeds' defensive figures and I think, ah, you know, are Arsenal the team that are going to be able to open them up? The market may also overreact for those bet it right users, may slightly overreact to the 7-0. As you just said there, can Leeds bounce back? Does the market suddenly overprice, um, you know, the, the, or, or change the price on the goals to reflect that result? 
So there's a couple of interesting markets uh, that I want to talk about. Firstly, Leeds tend to have a lot more yellow cards at home than Arsenal do away. So that's a potential, a potential angle. Almost two cards a game more. Also, corners, they're almost two corners more than Arsenal as well. So if they can get through uh, Arsenal and get into the final third, then you know it could be a potential corners market, maybe an over eight and a half corners as well. But I'm going to go against you on this, Ollie. I'm going to throw a little bit of controversy in there because I, I think that the run that they're on, the players that they're missing and the run that Arsenal are on, the confidence they've got on the youth that they've got, I think this is a game where it's going to be an Arsenal win. And if you wanted a little side bet, I would go Leeds to have the most corners and cards uh, to, to do a little sort of bet builder. But yeah, I'm going Arsenal to win. So we can uh, you know, get your dukes up and we can talk well, about this next week. <laughs> For clarity, <laughs> and we can listen back to the tapes, Dean, but I don't think I said I thought Leeds would win. I just expect them to bounce back and not be absolutely pumped like they were against City. All right. I do, think, I do think they'll surprise people. I think people might think that would be an easy game for Arsenal, but I don't think it's going to be a walk in the park. Um, oh, no. The road. I, th I think it'll be a tight win. The fact that neither team has scored over one and a half team yeah. goals, home versus away, this isn't going to... I don't think this is going to be a game that explodes... I think potentially, you know, if the market was two and a half and you were looking at around even money, then I would probably be on the overside. But I think that the two and a half is going to be odds on, which doesn't really, you know, it, it feels like the, the market may have overreacted to the 7-0. And, you know, that, that leads intensity, like you say, the ability to bounce back. Could be a close game, but one that I expect Arsenal to win. Next game, well, we had planned to talk about Watford versus Palace when we sort of prepared this show when we talked through the week about it. Um, and then the, we, we record this on Thursday morning. Obviously, Pal Watford were due to play Burnley on Wednesday night and it was cancelled last minute. So whether that game goes ahead, it was cancelled because of COVID outbreaks in the Watford camp. Whether that game goes ahead, by the time you're listening to it, it might even already be cancelled. So just check this, please, listeners and viewers. But it, it allows us an opportunity very briefly, Dean, to talk more broadly about COVID and what's going on in the world and from a betting and sporting angle, um, how we should think about it, approach it. What, what's your take on, on COVID and what are the key things to bear in mind? Well, the Premier League have come out and they've gone back to the emergency restrictions now and that boils down to maybe the changing rooms will start to be temporary again to separate people. Um, contact time, teams may have to start training in smaller groups like they did uh, last season, which, you know, suddenly impacts teams that have got good morale, teams that are struggling. That may actually help them improve because suddenly they're getting a little bit more individual attention from coaches. So really for, for the users outside of our site is to sit at home and, you know, work out right what's going on, which clubs are doing what, who's impacted. But then outside of that, it's okay, well, if the player's got it, is there any family members that have got it? Is there any sort of external circumstances that could potentially impact, you know, a team's ability to perform? And the only way that you can check that ability to perform is by looking at the statistics on, on the Bet It Right website and tracking those teams that have had a small COVID outbreak, seeing if their data's changing, seeing if potentially they're changing their style of play. We talked today about two managers that are very, very... Uh, ingrained in their principles, Ranić and Bielsa, some other clubs and Potter actually, some other clubs may be willing to tweak and change their system if, if players are missing in COVID. So really waiting for teams, looking at changes in system, looking at individual matchups, 
and looking at the data on the Bet It Right website to see, okay, the players that are leaving, this is their XG value. The players coming in, this is their XG value. And really just trying to think, okay, how could that potentially impact the game? And really you're starting now, as we do, to predict future performance based on based on those circumstances. Okay, that's that's important information. Next week, we're going to record a Christmas special as well. And I, I, I'm sure we'll touch, well, hopefully on a few games around the Boxing Day Christmas period. But if that is that if there are games to talk about, which we hope there are. But we'll also have a more general discussion about better right the data, how we can use that to um, come to conclusions and, and what have you. So that'll be really interesting. And I'm sure given where we are in the world at the moment with COVID coming back in in, in force um, with this Omicron variant, I'm sure we'll talk about COVID and the impact on punting in more detail as well. In the championship, Dean, we've got a, a game on Friday night, is it? Barnsley versus West Brom at Oakwell and Valerian Ismail returns to Oakwell. He's now obviously West Brom manager. And they're closing the gap on um, on Fulham and Bournemouth at the top of the table. Yeah, Bournemouth and Fulham are faltering. And normally it's West Brom that have that wobble. They love a wobble. But the wobble's been passed down to the south. And is it time for West Brom? You know, Valerian Ismail's done a great job since he's gone on. He obviously came off a, an unbelievable season at Barnsley where he took him into the playoffs, which nobody was expecting averaging 1.84 points a game in his in his time at Barnsley and now they're languishing in 23rd in the league and really struggling they've just brought in uh, the new manager Asbargi and he's had five games in charge and they haven't won yet so it's an away game for West Brom not really the kind of opponents that Barnsley would be wanting having you know been five games without a win under the new manager and this is a chance for West Brom to really put you know be in the Friday game as well get three points on the board, start to put pressure on the top two and potentially put themselves in a, you know, prior to the prior to Christmas, saying, right, we want one of those two automatic promotion spots. The um, the other game involving Fulham is on Monday night. That's against Sheffield United. Um, and obviously Fulham will be hoping to get back on track. But as we'd previously discussed on this podcast, um, Sheffield United are in a good vein of form. So come... Christmas Day, the top of the table might only have a gap of one or two points between three teams, whereas uh, it looked it looked as though this was a two-horse race for a long time, but it's, it's certainly not now, is it, Dean? No, it's, it's certainly not. And also, an honourable mention to Blackburn. Yeah, I was going to say, Blackburn are flying. They're flying. As, as soon as Ben Brereton threw Diaz on the end of his name, <laughs> you know, they've just turned into this machine. And I think they've won the last five. They're charging up the table. Tony Mowbray's been there a long time. You know, they're a very settled team and I'd be, you know, I would not count them out for that late run. As we know, the championship is just, I mean, it's literally like juggling balls around and seeing what's going to happen. But you never know. You win 5-0 one week, you lose 5-0 the next week. It's the it's the ultimate coupon buster league. And because of the gate, they pretty much play Saturday midweek every, every you know, every week of the year. So it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting run to the end, but... The, the familiar candidates up there, Bournemouth, Fulham's, your West Broms. I'd love to see Blackburn back in the Prem. Yeah. Take us take us back to the glory days. It's just quickly, bets in Barnsley, West Brom. Any obvious bets? Well, Barnsley have really struggled. They've scored three goals under the new manager. They've got the lowest XG and the second lowest goals at home in the league in the championship. West Brom have kept it 
I mean, they're, they're, they're a direct and aggressive 3-4-3. Ishmael likes to play a high line. He likes to kind of dominate, but he doesn't really have a plan B. They can be exposed on the counter-attack, but I don't think Barnsley have, it, uh, have the attacking quality to do that. And, you know, West Brom have got the best home form in the league, but their away form has been a little patchy. So I think this is a game where playing on the Friday night, Ishmael will want to go there, control the game, but keep it tight. And they've only scored over one and a half match goals in 13 of their 22 games. And only Derby actually have less than that uh, in the championship. So I would expect West Brom to win. It's looking like a one or two goal game for me. So my bet would be West Brom to win to zero. Passport's out. We're off to Europe. This time we're going to Holland to discuss a top-of-the-table clash in the Eredivisie between Ajax and Feyenoord. 1.30 UK time on Sunday. And Dean, Ajax have got the purest... I can't even say it. I knew this was going to... I knew I was going to struggle with this. They've got the purest purring this season. Nailed the it. purest purring? Yeah, they have. They have. Like They've Christmas been one of the best... Christmas Yeah, I like... Can you say it again for me, please? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> They have indeed, and weirdly, they're not top of the league. They've conceded only four goals this season. It's just, it's crazy. Uh, but they're not top of the league. PSV are top with 37, them and Feyenoord on 36. Last night, they, they won their cup game in 90 minutes and Feyenoord had to go to extra time, which throws a little bit of extra kind of spice into the mix. But it's two of the top teams in Holland. Ajax have been... You know, use their brilliant selves this season. Uh, you know, they've scored 49 goals, um, 16 away from home, you know, in, in their 16 games this season. And they did lose to Alkmaar 2-1 the other night, but they did only give up 0.8 XG, which is a reflection of their season to date. Massive numbers on the attacking side, giving up absolutely nothing on the defensive side. So, yeah, they've been one of the best teams in Europe so far. PSV's goal difference is 17. Finals goal difference is 24. And Ajax's goal difference is 45. <laughs> um, a lot of people will be aware of, um, of what they're doing in the Champions League. They'll be aware of the manager, given his links at the time to Manchester United. What is it about Ajax? Clearly, they score a lot of goals and they concede very few. So that's plain and simple. But, but what is it about his style as a manager that makes them so good and so appealing and so attractive to watch? Well, individually, they've got a lot. A lot of their players are just better than other players in the league. That's one thing. The Eredivisie. That's that's my difficult one today for your kind of you know, <laughs> purist purist purring. Mine is just <laughs> on the, the fourth the, day of Christmas. Yeah, Eredivisie said to I me, "I've got the purist purring." <laughs> <laughs> um, really, for them, it's you know they're a heavy possession team. They love to control the tempo. They've got some very good individuals. The one good thing which allows them to be really high up the pitch and really kind of force the game in possession is that their defensive mobility is is brilliant which which makes them really difficult to counter on which means that the positions that they take up in possession can be ultra aggressive and they can really try and kind of dominate teams and the fact that there's going to be no fans at final stadium this weekend is is a massive plus for Ajax because they're going to be able to go there and go after the ball and dominate the ball as as usual and yeah they they just they've just been brilliant this season and they're just I mean, the numbers for both teams are really positive on the attacking side. Final 2.77 uh, goals from 2.44. They're number three in the league. Ajax 3.44 goals from 3.03 XG. 
number one in the league and Ajax also have the number one defensive record in the league. So this is a typical game that we talked about before where you have two attacking teams with brilliant numbers, Ajax not conceding, but the volatility of the league, it's like, right, is this going to be an Ajax win? Is this going to be goals? Is this, you know, are they going to be able to keep Feyenoord out? The fact that there's no fans adds a real extra twist to it. What have you concluded? Well, my conclusion is, I think the Ajax in the in the one two x market, Ajax to win is the, is the best bet. The potential outsider could be for them to win to nil, but the volatility of the league leads me away from that. Yes, they haven't conceded many goals, but Feyenoord have excellent numbers on the attacking side of the ball, so they're a real threat. Um, Ajax half time full time could be the way to go on this, uh, given their quality. So. I'm going to put my neck out on the line. I'm going to say Ajax half-time, full-time. And if if there's a punter out there that wants an extra few quid in their pocket, you know, for for some pigs in blankets and an extra big turkey for Christmas Day, then go for Ajax to win to nil. It's amazing, Ajax, because obviously they lose to players like De Ligt, they lose De Jong, they lose Van der Beek, and then they get a load of academy kids in that are brilliant, right? We all know that. But then yeah, they one take of the best player... academies in the world. And that comes from that... The identity is 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 ingrained from from day dot yeah. under nine from under eight. This is how we play. This is what you're going to do. But, but, which but is they why. also get they also get good kids from other. You know they 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 scout incredibly well at a very young age, and then they come through that conveyor belt. But the thing that impresses me most, to a certain extent, is like Sebastian Haller, who was absolute pony to anyone that watched him at West Ham. He's like the, <laughs> he's essentially the champ. He's going to win the Golden Boot next year. He's going to win the Ballon d'Or. He's the most successful striker in Champions League history if you look at a small sample of about three games. I, and I go, how? <laughs> that, will be, uh, that will be the quality of the Premier League versus the quality yeah. of the defending. It's really the quality of the defending. You know, you're not, he's not playing against Ruben Diaz in Holland. That's the difference. Sure. He's not playing against Virgil van Dijk. You know, he'd probably have a lot of success against Craig Cathcart and and true stack home at Watford, but he's going to be he playing against didn't. players. He's yeah. going to be playing against players that are just, you know, and teams give, allow Ajax to dominate the ball. He was in a different environment at West Ham, you know, that, that the, the kind of the Ajax team and, and what they bring to games and the fact that other teams go, Oh my God, it's Ajax. Yeah. You're naturally going to just have so many more chances. And was he ever worth 40 million? He was great at Eintracht Frankfurt when I was following the Bundesliga the season that he was there. Uh, you know, was it a slightly inflated market? It always is coming into the Premier League, as we know. You have to pay more to get players into the Premier League. So maybe he's just found the right level for him. And like you say, Champions League legend. Weekly news roundup time. We'll start with the news that Sergio Aguero has unfortunately had to retire at the age of 33, due to a heart condition. Uh, he will go down in the history of the Premier League for that incredible goal against QPR to win Man City the league, that famous Aguero commentary. What a career. Can you do that, you do that again? But with more passion, I need to, like... Sorry, I was a bit monotone there, wasn't I? Yeah, yeah. I actually know all the words to that, you know. Oh, you do? Aguero! There Have you, you go. Have seen anything like this? So watch oh. it. No, you'll never see this again. You'll never see anything like this again or something, isn't it? Drink it in. Watch it. Drink it in. And then Roberto Mancini runs around in a circle like Homer Simpson. Yeah. Balotelli. 
Aguero. Anyway, what a player. And no one talks about, while you're on that topic, no one talks about Balotelli's role in that goal. He was, it was unbelievable what he did. Managed to play a through ball lying on the ground. Yeah. I mean... This very much is Balotelli's moment, though. You this know. is about Sergio Aguero. Yeah, I know. It's really... <laughs> I, I know. I know he said, why always me? But this is very much a moment that I'm sure he wouldn't want. Yeah, true. Um, true. What a player Aguero was. Um, oh, out, yeah. Unbelievable. He's had to go in this fashion. In Italy, Napoli lost at home to Empoli on Sunday in a shock defeat with a goal that I couldn't believe. It was cleared by a defender onto the back of an attacker's head and into the net. I've watched it a million times and still don't know how it went in. Anyway, they lost 1-0. They're once again, well, Angissa came back, but Osman's a big miss for them, as we've discussed on this podcast previously. Yeah. A four-horse race for the title, though, does still seem on the card. Sampdoria overcame bitter rivals January in the Geneva derby leaving Andrei Shevchenko under pressure only weeks into taking the job at Genoa. Yeah. If any of the listeners, by the way, if any of the watchers or listeners are struggling to sleep, watch uh, watch Genoa under Shevchenko and you will fall asleep real quick. I thought you were going to say, listen to this news roundup in a monotone voice from Ollie. (laughs) In France. Just just watch Genoa. You will nap hard like you've just eaten... 40 pounds of turkey on Christmas Day. Right. I'm going to put loads of enthusiasm into this one. Come on. In France, Olympique de Marseille overcame the second highest scorers at home in Europe's top five leagues, Strasbourg, thanks to an incredible overhead kick by Senegalese international Bambadieng. Worth watching that one back if you have not. Can you tell I'm reading a script? <laughs> no, absolutely. no, no, you look, you look so natural. Very natural, isn't it? So natural. PSG also overcame Monaco at home. And in Germany, Bundesliga to round it off. Dortmund struggled to a one-all draw away at Bochum as Bayern Munich continued to look like running away with the Bundesliga title after a home win versus Mainz. A big thank you to my good friend Callum for that. Um, he's got his finger very much on the pulse. He's part of the Better Right team. Uh, he's uh, a wizard, as are the Insights team, and uh, they will be posting, I'm sure, tips from some of the big European games on our at BIR Insights page and on our BIR Prompts page as well over the course of the next few days. And given that there are quite a lot of games in England being called off because of COVID, it might be if you want to get your European football fix or indeed a football fix, it's worth keeping an eye on that and tracking some of the games in Europe. Best bets time and weekend acker. Dean, what have you got for the best bet this weekend, please? Okay. I'm going to give us the lucky drum roll. We talked about Ajax Feyenoord. Six out of the last seven meetings have been an Ajax win and to zero. The only time they haven't beaten Feyenoord, they actually lost 6-2. Forget about that. My bet of the weekend, bet of the day, is going to be Ajax to win away at Feyenoord. Okay, Ajax to beat Feyenoord is the bet of the weekend in the Eredivisie. And they have got, what have they got, Dean? They've got the purists purry. <laughs> Not everyone can roll their R's. Um, as we discussed earlier in the, in the pod, they have been exceptional this season. So that's going to be a great game. Right, Dean, can you give us the weekend acker now, please? I can. I'm throwing Ajax final in there as well. So they're into the pot. We're going to throw West Brom 
into the pot as well, the game that we discussed. We're also chucking Man United into the pot. So there's three. And our fourth game is our beautiful friends in Bergamo, Atalanta, to beat Roma. Mourinho's team struggling uh, for consistency at the moment. And they are the four teams. So it's West Brom, Atalanta, Ajax, Manchester United. That is the four-game ACA of the week. Let's go. Good stuff. Uh, a reminder that next week we are going to record our Christmas special. So please get your Christmas jumper ready, Dean. Uh, I've got it. I've got it. It's outstanding. It's one of the best I've ever seen. I'm not, I'm not at all biased towards my own jumper, but I think it's probably the best Christmas jumper that's ever made. Right. OK, well, then people have to tune in for the Christmas special. Um, that will be, as I say, it will be a broad chat about punting, about approach, about how to use the better right data effectively. So uh, it will hopefully be really informative and educative as well as fun. Uh, and then also we'll have a look at some of the games because there's a host of games, as we know, throughout the Christmas period. Um, so we'll record that next week. That'll be slightly longer than our normal podcast, but it's a Christmas special. And then you can listen to that when the family are boring you. Or if you want to get out of a game of charades or what have you, it's gonna be it's gonna be the the lull, you know, the Christmas Day lull between the dinner and the second dinner when you're watching General. Tom Hanks be a cartoon <laughs> train driver for the fortieth time, or yeah. Elf, you know, you're watching Elf for the fiftieth time. Watch us in the lull. Just you know, quickly, just before we go, I'll leave you with this. Uh, someone posted on social media and this is totally not related to football but christmas films you've got me thinking and and he sent a script to netflix and the reply came back on an email saying dear steve thank you for taking the time to email us i have to say that this is one of the most incredible scripts we've ever seen you know spent years working on this script thank you so much blah 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 the only slight issue, Steve, is that you've sent us the script word for word for Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, we can't commission you and please never contact us again. And Die Hard is one of the great Christmas films, as we know. So well, I was going to say to you then, is that, you know, is Die Hard classified as a Christmas film? A hundred percent. It actually is. Is Jaffa Cake a biscuit or quiz questions about Christmas films, you know. <clears throat> no, it's true. I think, you know, any time that I hear Nakatomi Plaza, um, I, know, I think about Christmas, you know, 100%. When we have our meeting, we have a meeting amongst the very bright brains at Bet It Right every week, and we discuss sort of polls and, and uh, the content that we're going to talk about on this show. I didn't think that this show would end up with us saying, let's get a poll out on Bet It Right about the best Christmas film ever. But I think we might be going that way. Ash and Callum probably listening. <laughs> I think it's. Uh, I think we have to. And yeah. if if I was voting, actually, Ollie, you can go first. You have to vote first. It's What's easy. Your... Home Alone. Okay. Simple. Go yeah. on. Thanks for stealing my thunder. Home Alone. Yeah. See, Home Alone. Yeah. Two, okay. Well, we've got two votes for Home Alone. What should we put in there? Um, <clears throat> Die Hard. Yeah. Home Alone. Yeah. Elf. Elf. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Miracle on 34th Street. Yeah, okay, those are the four. We're probably missing one. We'll, leave, look, we'll let the brains behind the scenes work out the four. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. <laughs> <laughs> this is just oh, going to end. Come on, we're English. You need to see Hugh Grant dancing around number 10. Love Actually's got to be. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Love Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that is, yeah. What about The Holiday? 
you know? Okay, this this is descended. In, yeah. can, the powers that be are better, right? Shut up, lads. Go. <laughs> right, we'll see you back next week for our Christmas special. Don't forget to sign up to betitright.com. It's free. You can get all the data. It's it's yours. It's there. Sign up. Join us. Um, have fun with us. Learn with us. Uh, follow us on Twitter at BIR Insights and BIR Prompts. Like and subscribe this podcast. Tell all your mates about it. Dean, thank you as always. Great stuff. Really informative. Your Good luck with the best bet and the weekend. Keep the change, you filthy animals. <laughs> uh, this has been surreal, but nice. That's from Notting Hill, not Love Actually. Yeah. Oh, my God. Right. <laughs> We're out of here. See Go. You.